Welcome to In the Trenches, the podcast of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Here's your host, Tony Daunt. Greetings. This is Tony Daunt, Executive Director of the Michigan Freedom Fund and the host of the Freedom Fund podcast, In the Trenches. Today, we are very um, blessed and lucky to have uh, two of the leading uh, election experts in the legislature, and, and I would dare say in the state of Michigan with us. Um, we have Ruth Johnson, state senator from the 14th district. Prior to being elected to the state senate, she was uh, Oakland County clerk in Register of Deeds and uh, did great things there and uh, wide knowledge. Um, she was also happened to be uh, secretary of state for uh, eight years. And uh, also joining us is Representative Ann Bolin from um, the 42nd District. Prior to being elected to the legislature, she was the Brighton Township Clerk, had 16 years of experience there. And so tremendous election experience from each of these ladies, um, a lot uh, of knowledge to bring to the table. And so we welcome them and hope you'll enjoy this, uh, this program. I think what, um, what I wanna do to kick things off is, um, you know, obviously just recently, uh, today actually, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson had a press conference talking about various um, election reforms in the state of Michigan. And uh, today and throughout the last week or two, her and uh, many of her allies on the, the extremist left have used some pretty inflammatory rhetoric regarding election reform, um, making claims that don't necessarily stand up to the facts of the matter. And so I wanted to get each of your thoughts. Uh, Ruth, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. And, and you know, what do you make of this rhetoric, this, uh, the way they talk, you know, calling it Jim Crow on steroids and Jim Crow on a pig? It just seems like a, a great way to drive a wedge between people as opposed to bringing us together. You know, I think there's a lot of rhetoric. And then if you look at the actual content of the bills, it just doesn't match up. And you'll notice they never say exactly what in the, it's in those bills that they don't like. Um, there's a wide range of reforms that have been proposed, and many are focused on making it easier to vote, as well as maintain the integrity in our process. So uh, I think the other thing I would say is that there is no predetermined outcomes here. We're going to be holding hearings over the next few months and then the Senate Elections Committee, which I chair, and we want to talk to stakeholders and hear their concerns. And we'll work with um, everyone to try to produce the best product we can for the people of Michigan so that they know that there is integrity in our elections. And, and what about you, Representative Boland? You know, your thoughts on, on how things have gone over the last couple of weeks? Well, uh, I was a little surprised and actually um, I'm a little confused by today's press conference and messaging and that uh, starts out to be poisonous and un-American. And then we flip side and say that we want to engage in conversation and work with the legislature. And uh, so, so I'm a little confused still, um, but I would say is that I'm 100% committed to working on behalf of the people, every voter out there to ensure that our elections are fair and free and that every eligible voter can vote freely, secretly, independently, and securely. That was my commitment, my focus as a clerk. It's my commitment and focus as a legislator. And I don't think that when we get out there and start calling names, making accusations, uh, discrediting people by their association. If we really, really want to work in the interest of the people in integrity in elections, let's work together um, to make that happen. We do have a lot of checks and balances in 
existing Michigan election law. Now, we know there are all, always opportunities to improve. And I think that instead of looking back and saying, you know, what a great job we did, why do we look and say, how, how can we improve on this? We had the only major election since Proposal 3 was passed with a constitutional amendment with same-day registration, automatic voter registration, and no reason AV. I cannot believe that anybody thinks everything was perfect the first time around. I think that's very well said. And, um, you know, that not only was it the first time around, it was in the midst of, of a pandemic and all of the challenges that came with that. And so, um, you know, I, I think oftentimes Secretary Benson and, and others on the left, you know, they point to the dangerous rhetoric in, in the things that happened between Election Day and, and January 6th obviously. And, and rather than address that and speak with people uh, about ways to avoid that, to fix those problems, they go 180 degrees the other way and say, well, everything was, was basically perfect. It was the most secure uh, of all time. And uh, in many ways, I think folks, myself included, um, think that that's, you know, that's also disingenuous um, read of the situation. And we have issues with with integrity and making sure that uh, we we know um, our voter rolls are clean, for instance. And so, um, do you think that that you know that that type of um, pointing to what is obviously not true on the other side just further um, drives a wedge between the parties, their ability to come together and do things that uh, both sides would want? Because I know there's certain things in the legislature, both House and Senate, where there's some agreement between uh, the Secretary of State and and the, and the legislature. Are there any of those you that maybe mm -hmm. worth pointing out? And then maybe that's you start there, um, as opposed to some of the the things that are are more um, divisive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's where the House started. Uh, we have started on uh, bills that one uh, maybe just didn't get over the finish line during lame duck. Uh, or because of COVID, um, matters that came up in a performance audit of through the Auditor General's Office of the Bureau of Elections, the Secretary of State's Office, um, material deficiencies or weaknesses, and it's important to correct those. And, um, you know, these bills were not drawn up, most of them, um, obviously, the ones that were in response to an Auditor General's report, they're, they're important to rectify those. I know the Secretary of State's office has been moving towards rectifying it, but uh, let's make sure it happens and that uh, we don't continue to have um, outdated voter rolls. That's a responsibility of every clerk and everyone who has access to the qualified voter file. And we need to, I think we have clerks that work very, very hard to do that. And we wanna give them the tools to do that. These are challenging times uh, for local clerks. We've been inundated with proposal three, increased number in registered voters, AVs, and at the same time, there is a push um, that our precinct locations, for example, some of the schools don't want elections being held in them out of security reasons. I know as a former clerk, all clerks worry about the security of the buildings that they're in, the workers, the students if it's in a school. And so um, I don't think we ever wanna place anybody in a compromising position, but the reality is that we're finding fewer and fewer polling locations or locations open to us. So we have a bill, we worked on that with the stakeholder community, that being the clerks. 
Um, we will continue to work. We have some uh, bills that uh, passed out of the House uh, that are already over in the Senate that we have worked on jointly. They're bipartisan bills and they're not Republican, they're not Democrat, they're good election policy. And I think that's what we're striving for is good policy to protect the voter and advance democracy in our state. And who should object to that? <laughs> it, those who seek to divide us so that they can uh, maybe gobble up more power, I think is the only answer there. Um, you, you mentioned something in, in your comment there about polling locations. And um, I've had numerous people uh, come up to me and, and ask regarding those polling locations, you know, that these are you know, schools or, or government buildings. Um, why can't, and, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know the answer to this, perhaps one of you will, um, why can't the state just say you have to hold elections in those in those facilities um, rather than allowing them to opt in or out of it? Um, I, I'm sure there's some who are kind of curious about that. Well, I don't really have, um, I, I don't know that we really want the legislature to dictate to uh, schools and communities like you have to hold a precinct location. We have allowable locations under current law, and we're trying to expand the definition of those. Ideally, I don't understand why, if you are a public building paid for with taxpayer dollars, why you wouldn't want the public to come in and see the building that they've paid for, right? Um, but I don't think that the legislature, even back when I was a clerk, was very interested in trying to dictate. It seems that these are really should be very easily administered solutions that we all want to have election day, right? And we want to make it accessible, easy, convenient for our voters. Schools are the most logical location for elections. They have adequate parking. They have handicap access. They usually have large gymnasiums, multi-purpose rooms. And, you know, it's always nice to come into a school building and you see the kids artwork, you know, it just is, it's all about community. Um, but I understand the security reason. So this is why we have to expand it. Um, we also find that schools are closing, right? Uh, the population is decreasing in the state. In some areas, we found that our school districts actually have to shrink. And they do that by closing buildings. So that's another reason that uh, sometimes the schools are not available to us. Um, people find it offensive to go into a church. Um, but the, the point is that we are trying to make sure that we have accessible voting locations, precincts within a community that are familiar and welcoming to the voters to come in on election day. Great. And um, Representative Boland, you, you did a, a nice job kind of laying out some of the things that the House has been working on. Um, Ruth, I wanted to, to give you a, a chance here to, uh, to speak about the Senate package. And in many ways, the Senate package and what was unveiled um, probably about two weeks ago now has been um, some of the source um, of some of the, the most inflammatory and heated rhetoric from the left. And I think, um, I, you know, I'm sure you as, as chair of, the, um, of that uh, committee and having worked on the, uh, worked as a secretary of state, you can speak very nicely about why what they're saying is simply not true. And they're trying to confuse people um, and anger them rather than tell them the truth about what's in this package. So um, I would love to hear from you, your take on, on that. Sure, Tony. I, I think one of the most interesting things is the media hasn't asked what specifically is it that you don't like? It seems like this broad 
mischaracterization of the package. And as you know, they're, they're not legislation, they're bills, they have to go through a process and they'll be vetted and there'll be the stakeholders that will come and it has to get through both branches. So, um, but they still have, have been neglectful and reluctant and have failed to say what it is that they, that they don't really um, like about the bills. And some of them actually um, make it easier to vote. I have a bill that would let active military be able to vote in a way using the secure military system, using their common access card and the highest military secrets go over that in foxholes on in ships um, uh, and in many of the places they're intense. I, I went to the Middle East. I was chosen as one of the secretaries of state about um, six or seven years ago and found out that it's very difficult for those serving to vote. We would let them vote electronically using their CAC card, common access card. They are a protected class. That means nobody else would be able to do it. They would have to go over the system that has the highest integrity in it that you can have that the highest military secrets go over. I know that the current um, Secretary of State had a a press conference yesterday, and there were so many mischaracterizations of um, what we're doing. I am on a national committee. Um, I co-chair it. And so I've been working with Republican State Legit, uh, Leadership Committee's Election Integrity Commission, and we've been working with um, red states, blue states, purple states to find some model legislation that we think is an example of best practices in different areas of election law. So we pulled together some of the laws from around um, the country, the best practices for election audits, absentee voting by mail from Colorado that has a Democrat governor and legislature. We've pulled laws on best practices for recounts from New York, which last I looked was not a Republican state. And um, I, think, I think these real mischaracterizations of our work do a great disservice to the public. And they seem to be wanting an outcome of rage from people when it's time to work together. There's nothing partisan about having good, honest elections, making sure that those that are qualified voters can vote, but protecting the integrity of our elections. That's our job. We have to do that. And some of the polling shows that um, a lot of people in Michigan don't think that we have free and fair elections, and they're concerned. And we need to look at where we're at and how we can fix it and come up with uh, bipartisan bills. And I think you'll find that most of our bills, once we, they, we go to work on them, that we will have bipartisan support. So all of this rhetoric and mischaracterization is to make people angry. That, that doesn't really help. Angry using false information. And it's a, I just think it's such a great disservice to the people of Michigan. And it's very disappointing when I've heard it. And again, why doesn't the media ask what specifically is it that you don't like? And so they can just do this broad accusation and get away with it. And it, it's really too bad. It really is uh, uh, hard on people out there to make them think what they're being told is accurate. Well, and I think, you know, great point about the, you know, asking for specifics. Um, you know, you look at one of the things not just right now, but um, in, through the years of, of my involvement here in, in Lansing and state government and dealing with election law um, is, is the issue of photo identification. And you know, unfortunately, the radical left makes it seem as though this is you know, a modern day poll tax of sorts when you need an identification to do virtually anything in this country, to, to purchase something online, to purchase alcohol to fly. Um, you, I mean, you name it, you need a photo identification. And if there's an issue of cost and somebody not being able to, 
to get one and access, I think that's even addressed in, in this legislation that uh, they're able to get one. And so they, they don't point out specifics because I think it's 72% of the people um, when polled support strongly um, photo ID. So, you know, what do you make of, of that use of photo ID as kind of this, this real linchpin of, um, you know, their, their angst on this? Well, you're absolutely right. You have to use your driver's license or state ID to even buy a fishing license, uh, just about anything we do. And um, when I was a clerk, there was a change in the law that anyone that was on government assistance had to have uh, a state ID. And um, there were 640,000 people almost that didn't have a state ID, but they all had to get it. So people have ID. Those that don't, we would make sure if they couldn't afford it, that they would be, um, they would get that ID. It is the gold standard so that you know who is voting, who they are, so that we can make sure nobody is disenfranchised because somebody that uh, shouldn't have been voting was. And, and uh, you know, the current Secretary of State did send out what I call 800,000 plus invitations for people to vote that weren't even qualified. That mostly they had moved. Uh, some had died. We had a couple underage and a few non-citizens that were very concerned because uh, they can, it's a felony. They can be expelled from the country for voting. So um, we, we really need to make sure that we have that gold standard of ID and make sure that there's no one that would be precluded because they couldn't afford it. And that's exactly what this bill does. So along the lines of the, you know, Michigan's photo ID law, um, when it was enacted, I mean, I was clerk, so I had to implement that policy uh, on relatively short notice, uh, right before a, a sizable election. And I would say that most people are very willing to be compliant with the law. We have a provision. It is not widely used because there's misinformation on both sides. Okay. I, it is not widely used. Clerks are required to file a report of people who file an affidavit that they're not in possession of their ID. And uh, so I, it's just, it's, it's extremely frustrating that there is very minimal opposition to really showing photo ID, strong support for showing photo ID. We have ample opportunities, have access, free Michigan ID cards if you don't have a driver's license. So I don't think we're, you know, narrowing it down to people who can't afford it. It is available and accessible to anybody. And I also think that local communities certainly will step up to the plate if they find a citizen that doesn't have a photo ID uh, when they're coming to register to vote to assist them to help facilitate that. You know, some of our communities have the ability to issue passports, for example. So I, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that this is being taken, I think, out of context. It really, photo ID in signature checking protects the voter, which then adds integrity to our voting and our election process. And uh, that's why, again, it's, it's one of those things I get a little confused on, like, why is there pushback on this? Why is this a bad thing? And we have really, uh, under Secretary Johnson's um, time uh, did a really good job of fully implementing photo ID in the state of Michigan. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent, an excellent point of, you know, I, I know when I've gone to my polling location and, you know, stand in line and um, people are eager, you know, to, to show their ID that I've, I've heard numerous people 
say, oh, I'm so glad that you're asking for ID. And, and I think that gives them confidence that their vote is going to count because the, the poll workers are, are taking the law seriously. They are making sure that people who are voting are eligible to vote and they're doing it in the right spot. And I think, um, you know, not only is there disenfranchisement from, you know, the idea of people simply being denied the opportunity or ability to vote, it's a disenfranchisement when you vote and your vote is canceled out by somebody's vote who shouldn't have been, um, was not legally eligible to do so. And so. Um, now, another measure that we have uh, uh, for voter identity, if you will, falls in with absent voters and that's the signatures. All right. And voters are required to on their MasterCard or their driver's license or ID, they, they have a signature on them. And that digital signature is available to the local clerks. So when this absent voter mail uh, in ballot materials come back into the clerk's office, they are checking by signature. So it's not as though ballots and applications come and they're, they're not checked against anything. If the voter is absent, which is what we have in the state of Michigan, absent voter voting, uh, not vote by mail, um, they check by signature. And are there ways that we can improve uh, that? Yes, I'm sure there are. I think uh, in the way of more signature training to make sure that our clerks are adequately trained in looking for fraudulent signatures, things to look for when it, when it does come in, um, you know, kind of takes you to the next step, if you will. You see something at the red flag, then what's the next step to proceed? Um, so I, I think that I have a lot of confidence in our clerks that they, um, you know, will continue to be interested in continuing education. And as we see this continued increase in absent voter voting, that uh, the signatures are, are a very strong method for checking voters' identity as well. And, and Ruth, you mentioned something uh, a, a moment ago related to um, the Secretary of State's decision uh, in the 2020 elections to mail um, unsolicited absentee ballot applications to every um, registered voter and more um, in the state of Michigan, which led to some at least a half a million, I think the number used was 800,000, um, you know, who were, as you said, had, were deceased, had moved. Um, a lot of them bounced back to the Secretary of State's office. Um, isn't that the type of thing um, in, in whatever list they use to send that, that's the type of stuff that draws into question the integrity of our elections because a lot of folks will say, well, what's going on with our system when the guy who I bought this house from 10 years ago his application shows up at my house. That that's an avenue for fraud in many people's minds. What do you what do you make of that type of decision? I probably had more complaints about that than anything. We had over four hundred of them sent to us with notes on them. That person, the, the longest they moved was forty years ago. Um, we had people that had died, and um, a sixteen year old and two um, non citizens. And because it is a felony, they didn't want to be involved. They were very concerned. Um, it sends a really bad message to the people. All these are 1,520 local clerks have sent those after the person has requested it and there's lists they can stay on. Our local clerks do a great job. They're accountable, they're transparent. And if they're not doing a good job, 
you can change who's your clerk pretty easily when you have 1,520. Our current Secretary of State does not look like local control. She likes big government. She's supporting um, uh, HR um, 1 slash S.1, which is federalizing our elections. And there goes so, so much of our local control that we have. And, and I think um, all of these are just so serious that they would restrict the ability of the states to have reasonable identity verification standards for voting. And by the way, she used what we call the qualified voter file. It's very deceptive because a qualified voter file is not clean because half 40% of the country does not participate in, in communicating with the other states. So if you surrender your driver's license, say, Tony, say you move to Florida someday, your driver's license in Michigan is no longer valid. You get a Florida license, but we have no national system so that you only have one voter card. And these are the kinds of things when you look at this new federal um, bill, it's over 800 pages and, and it really would infringe on a right to clean up our voting rolls or the qualified voter file. There's a lot of security concerns with the bills and there's over 800 pages. And I don't know all the details. I'm sure some of it we would agree with, but I know just looking at what I have, it's really bad bill for integrity. And this is the kind of thing that right now is being pushed uh, in Michigan and across this country is to have our, our uh, voting federalized rather than have our local control. And, and, and it's just wrong and bad and it's gonna take away integrity and it's gonna take away transparency and ability to fix things. And, and so uh, I think it's so important that we keep our local control. And Michigan, by the way, is different than most states. They would have 83 county clerks as opposed to 1,520. And it's much harder when you're secretary of state to you know, communicate and make sure all those people are ready. But the transparency and the accountability it gives to the people of the state, it, you just can't put a price on that. In, in, and, you know, it, I, it count me as somebody, um, you know, in my, in my younger, less wise years, um, who, you know, often questioned, you know, the, the, the need and the wisdom of having so many local election um, clerks and people in this state of Michigan um, dealing with elections. And as I've, as I've grown um, and, and really kind of been part of this, this thinking, it seems to me that you, you, by doing this, you're, you're localizing any problems so that if there's a problem somewhere, it stays in that local unit as opposed to infecting and creating the problem for the entire county or the, encounters, the entire state. As a, as a township clerk, you know, how, how do you view um, moving that away, not just from the kind of the township level um, protections that that in, entails, but this HR1, S1, taking away the protections of the states and putting it in the hands of the federal government? I think it's a terrible idea. And I would say uh, also that uh, when you look at some of the major components of HR1 uh, that they want to implement or want on behalf of states, Michigan is already doing automatic voter registration, no reason AV. We already have this by constitutional amendment in the state of Michigan. And whether you supported them or didn't support them back in 2018, they are the law of the land and the people of Michigan spoke. And now it is the legislature's job to make sure we make the laws in the state of Michigan. We want to have control of our own elections. We do not Washington. We'd still be waiting for Washington to adopt some of these rules, right? And we keep hearing 65% of the people voted in favor of no reason AV, same day registration. 
Well, 65% of the people that voted in that election, I believe is the real stat. Um, but nonetheless, um, it is uh, the law of the land in the state of Michigan. And so why would we want the federal government to interfere with that? I don't think we do. Um, and often people will hear the government closest to the people is the most responsive. And that's what we have with having our elections administered at the very local level. Those are the people that generally will know, uh, you know, Joe Smith passed away, you know, uh, you know, my neighbor down the road had a stroke. She's not able to maybe sign. So we have to update her signature. I mean, these are the things, you know, so-and-so's kids moved away. Um, this is the kind of information that local courts have that uh, help them to do the one of the biggest and most important factors, and that's keeping up-to-date voter rolls, because it all starts and stops with a sufficient voter roll that is accurate. And um, they're not accurate, right, Ann? I mean, she sent out over 800,000 invitations to vote to people that were simply not eligible. They just, most of them didn't live here or died. And uh, that, that and it, sets up some, a bad, bad situation. And also something Ann said I thought is important is that Prop 3 was passed, but um, I was Secretary of State at the time there was a lack of honesty because you had these operatives, these far left operatives saying you're going to be able to register same day. They never said we don't have a computer that can keep track of that and still don't. So we don't know if people might even go to numerous communities. And the other thing is they didn't tell you that they stripped out one rule that was so important, which is we would see a warm body once before you could vote. You could either do it at the secretary of state's office or with your local clerk or at the county clerk, but we saw a warm body once. We never have to see a warm body now. But what they did have on there is that military should have 45 days to vote. Boy, should they. It was already a federal law and state law. And they said, you should have a secret ballot. But they didn't bother to tell you. That's already the law in Michigan. So in some ways, the deception started there to undermine the integrity of our elections. And for some reason, the media just didn't seem to even want to talk about it. And I, I think they, they did a great injustice to people because I think if people knew those facts, some people that voted yes might might have voted no. And, um, and many people that I talked to out when I was out um, in the community, they had no idea about those other things. But uh, if you ever read uh, Horton, Here's a who I felt like I was in Whoville. <laughs> Just couldn't get it, couldn't get it across. Well, I I thank both of you ladies. Um, you know, it's amazing how quickly time flies when they're doing this. Um, but um, you know, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give each of you, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, you know, just uh, let us, you know, let the listeners know what do you envision as kind of the top, the top priority, what your what your really seeking to do as as chair of your respective election committee in in your in your legislative chamber and uh ruth i'll, I'll give it to you first and, and then we'll go to ann thank you tony i think there's common ground for election reform there is nothing partisan about having good clean fair and safe elections so um i think you'll find that most of these bills that get passed are going to have bipartisan support we're going to take testimony we're going to work with the stakeholders and we're going to come up with the best product possible and um i think the biggest problem right now is this disinformation and the ultra left operatives wanting us to hate and fight with disinformation and i think programs like yours 
Tony, are a really good start. And I think the media can help and the citizens can help when someone criticizes the bills very broadly, whatever it may be, to go one step further and say what the specific bill is and what specific concern they have. Because I think there's a lot of allegations flying around right now that um, when you go and read the actual bills, they're just not accurate. And that's a great disservice to our state and country. Yes. And Anne, how about you? Final final thoughts. Yes, I, I think there is a greater opportunity to work together. And uh, the only thing that's stopping us is a will. All right. And uh, if we keep politically posturing and positioning, instead of getting at the real issues that we want to improve our election process and make sure that they're fair and secure, that people have, we need to work very, very hard to restore voter confidence. That doesn't mean voter confidence on one side of the aisle. That means all voters across the state of Michigan. And uh, I think that we have a solid approach uh, working. We have conversations regularly, Senator Johnson and myself, on what's her, what her committee is doing, what we're doing. I've had conversations with the Secretary of State, many, many stakeholders, having been a former clerk. I think I uh, have a little bit different lens. And you know, if there's an idea or a concept, how to really execute it or make it happen and work. Um, but I think there's great opportunity. And I have some areas of focus that I want to continue on. Um, you know, one of them I think we need to really make sure is that when we get to the certification and canvassing process at the tail end of elections, that we have adequate time, adequate training to make sure that uh, it's another check and balance in the process, if you will. Um, so we will be looking at additional bills, uh, some very similar maybe to the Senate. We look forward to getting the bills vetted through the Senate and over to the House. Uh, it is a deliberative process. It's an open process. It's very transparent and uh, welcome. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you talking about it. Um, always love to come back. There's always more to talk about in elections. Absolutely. And Really appreciate each of you taking time from your busy schedules to sit down with me and, and speak with our listeners about this. It's certainly one of the hottest topics out there. And uh, so it's very much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us in the trenches. To learn more about the Michigan Freedom Fund, please visit our website at www.michiganfreedomfund.com and sign up for our weekly email, The Frontlines of Freedom. In the Trenches is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you for listening.